Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. If it were possible to be saved through religion, through being a good person, by keeping the law, by, by joining a church, if it were possible to be saved any other way, don't you think the Father would have answered this prayer in the affirmative? He would have said, of course, I'm not gonna let you go to the cross. Of course, no. Well, our studies are getting closer and closer to the cross. In today's broadcast, we are looking at Luke chapter 22, and we'll start in verse 31 and go through the end of the chapter. This is a new two-part message from Pastor Sam entitled, Jesus and Peter. We will be looking at Jesus predicting Peter's denial and going all the way through Jesus being brought before the Sanhedrin. So let's listen in. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke 22. We pick up at verse 31. We'll look at the remainder of the chapter, Lord willing. Luke 22, 31, title of our study this morning, Jesus and Peter. We're going to spend a little time before we actually look at our text this morning, reviewing, well, some of what we know about Peter, some of what we've learned from Peter. And I want to ask a question. How does a guy go from being a one who says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man to saying, you really don't know who you're dealing with here, do you, Lord? Peter had so much going for him and he started so well. But he ended so poorly. Well, if the chapter we're looking at today was the end, actually, it was a brand new beginning that Peter's pride, that Peter's arrogance, that Peter's opinion that he was better than the rest. Well, that's all about to change and and for the better, because, you know, the scripture, God humbles those who exalt themselves and he exalts the humble. Either way, you're going to be humbled. The choice is yours. You humble yourself or he'll humble you. Well, Peter was one of the 12. You should know that. He was chosen by Jesus to be with him and that he might send him out with the other 11 to represent him. One of 12, he was also one of three. He was a part of that inner circle. And my buddy Gail Irwin came up with a theory I ascribe to, and that is the reason Peter, James, and John were the inner circle wasn't because they had the greatest potential, but because they were the remedial group. Now, I believe it because I've read the story and I've looked at how much trouble Peter gave Jesus and I find such hope in this. And hey, if you're a Peter, you should learn from him. And if you're married to a Peter, well, we'll be praying for you. But, but, but the real issue here is Peter is a guy who is passionate and impulsive and intense. He has leadership qualities. He's, he's got drive. He has everything you'd look for in someone you wanted to send out, except he was so self-assured. He was so sure that he could that he forgot to, to listen to Jesus and and let him have his way. Well, Peter was one of 12, he was one of three, and he was one of a kind. In contrast, by the way, Peter, who's mentioned 158 times in the New Testament, Andrew, his brother, mentioned only 13 times. Philip mentioned 33 times. James mentioned only 42 times. And it really speaks to the fact that Peter gets the most press. And this makes sense to us. 
Think back. Now, if you just graduated from high school, it's easier than if you graduated like 1968, like I did. But think back to the, the, the time when you were in your senior year and, uh, you know, somebody mentioned someone from the class who was real quiet, never got in trouble, never, you know, really raised the ruckus. And you're like, oh, let me see. I know I know him. But they mentioned the class clown and you're like, oh, yeah. Not only can you picture them, you remember the things they did. That's Peter, you see. It really is. We remember him because so many things happened between him and Jesus that ultimately God uses to give us hope. Why? Because he never gave up on Peter. He was so patient with him and, and he's so together, our Lord, and transforming even the, well, the most difficult project Peter was a, a tough nut to crack, as they say, and well, we'll see it here. Now, Jesus did call those first disciples, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John, to follow him. And what he says basically is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Interesting because it says immediately they left their nets and followed him. It almost sounds like the Lord comes and says, follow me. And they're like, yes, Lord, we follow you. I don't think it's exactly like that. Why? They had been looking at and listening to. They had been observing him. In fact, earlier, I believe that same day or at least that same week, Jesus had come to Peter and said, hey, I need to use your, your boat. You know, got in it. He, he had him row out just a little ways. A huge crowd was amassed there on the shore. The sea is very still there at certain times of the day and year. And so Jesus used the water to reflect his voice, to speak to the multitudes. Then he tells Peter to go out for a great catch of fish. And as there's this magnificent catch, Peter falls on his knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord, he got it right in the beginning. The problem with Peter is you'll never hear him say anything like that again till you get to our next study or the one following it. Not only does he follow Jesus at his command, he is the one, well, the only one that I'm aware of who ever walked on water. Well, besides Jesus, of course. Now, when Jesus walks on water, that's not that big a deal. He's God. But when a man, Peter, walks on water, that's really something. And, and you know, we, and I mean we as in pastor types, we read that story and we're always trying to get to the application. You know, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he saw that the wind was driving the waves and he began to sink and he cried out, help, Lord, and and so it's always about his failure. But let me just draw your attention once again to the reality. Peter walked on water. And we could say, well, yeah, but he faltered and he failed, but he walked on water. Nobody else even got out of the boat. And that tells me Peter was a man of great faith. It wasn't like he thought, I bet I could walk on water too. He said, if you will it, if you say it, I could walk on water. And Peter says, come on down. I mean, Jesus says to Peter, come on down. Peter would be the one who would acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus would affirm that that was a revelation from heaven. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. Now that reminds me and it should remind you. That as we pray for and share with people, 
We should be praying specifically that God would open their eyes, that God would soften their hearts, that God would unstop their ears. Why? Because we can declare the message, but only the Father can open their eyes. Only the Father can give them that revelation that can only come from heaven. He does go on to say, our Lord, that is, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, there are whole uh, religious establishments built around the idea that Peter is the rock. And I will acknowledge Peter means rock, but it actually means pebble. And, and when Jesus says upon this rock, and by the way, Pebble's better than uh, a reed drifting in the wind, which is what his name was before. He goes from being a reed, Simon, drifting in the wind. It comes up here later to being a, a, a small rock, a, a chip off the old block. But the, the reality of the rock that Jesus builds his church upon, it's who he is. The declaration that he is the Christ, the son of the living God and what that means, you see, Jesus went on to explain to Peter and the fellas exactly what it meant that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and as he said, I'm going up and I'll be handed over and I'll be brutalized and crucified and I'll rise again the third day. Peter takes Jesus aside and says, this will never happen to you. This is the same guy. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know what you're talking about, Lord. I'll tell you what, as long as I'm your guy, that will never happen to you. That's what Peter's thinking. He could protect Jesus from the cross. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter because Peter, who'd had a revelation from heaven, is now speaking from the pit of hell. The idea that there would be no cross. Hey, we wouldn't even be here since we're not a Christian club but a group of born-again believers washed in the blood of Jesus. Had he not gone to the cross, we would have perished in our sins. Well, even this particular night, and there are so many other stories, but I'm just trying to lay a little bit of a foundation to catch us up to where we are. This very night, Jesus, after the dinner, he girds himself with a towel and he begins to go from disciple to disciple, washing their feet. He says to him, you don't know what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. Well, they certainly knew he was washing their feet. What they didn't know is why. He'd been trying to teach them that they needed to be servants. Now he was taking one last opportunity to serve them by taking the lowest place, doing the most menial job. When he comes to Peter, Peter first says, are you going to wash my feet, both words, you and my, are emphatic. He just can't believe it. And really, if you think about it, we shouldn't believe it either. I mean, why should Jesus, the one who is the Son of God, be washing the feet of those disciples? Well, first of all, none of them were willing to take that job and do it. You see, if they washed the other's feet, they would be acknowledging, I'm the lowest among the twelve. And they were all about fighting which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom. If they really understood Jesus, they would have said, hey, let me wash the feet. Because the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. In any case, first he says, you, me, you going to wash my feet? And then he says to Jesus, and you got to love Peter, you will never wash my feet. It's not the only time he says you're never going to do something that immediately after he has to say, oh, I guess I got that one wrong, didn't I? He, Jesus responds to Peter's great. He says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. 
And Peter, still wanting to control the situation, says, okay, well, then my hand's in my head also. And Jesus says, no. And it's like Peter just doesn't get that Jesus is Lord. He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and he knows he's the Lord, but he's always acting as if he's in charge. Well, in any case, Jesus does tell them after he says, you know, Peter says, you know, you're never going to wash my feet. Then he says, well, okay, give me a bath. And Jesus says, you're already bathed. You're all clean except one. That, of course, is a reference to Judas. Mark 14, 27, and you don't have to go there. We're almost to verse 31, believe it or not. Um, Mark 14, 27, Jesus says, all of you will be made to stumble this night for it is written. Jesus is saying it and he's saying the scripture says it. That's two witnesses. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. How does Peter respond to this revelation from Jesus and from the scripture? He says, even if all be made to stumble, I will never be made to stumble. Peter actually believed he was different from and better than the rest. When he thought about all, you know, like if I were to tell you today, well, I'll tell you, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of you are sinners. Well, all of us are sinners. Why would I not put myself in the same category? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you were like Peter, you'd say, yeah, all of them have sinned, but not me. And that's really what he's doing here. And hopefully that's not you, but if it is you, hopefully the Lord will connect with you and change all that today. Peter is suffering from delusions of grandeur. He really thinks he's better than everyone else. Well, the Lord's about to take him down a notch or two. The Lord says, verse 31, and here we are. That was quick. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Three or four issues here. First of all, Satan's asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. It's a reminder that nothing comes into the life of a believer that doesn't first get by and go through Jesus. When Job was suffering, God was setting the perimeters of the attack. You can do this, but you can't do that. You can go this far, but you can't go any further. Here he says, Satan's out to get you, Peter. He wants to sift you as wheat. His intention, of course, the enemy of our souls, to steal, to kill, and destroy. If he could, well, he would steal Peter's joy, and he will temporarily. He would have killed him if he could, but that wasn't going to be allowed. Steal, kill, destroy. He is going to temporarily destroy Peter's witness and even his hope. But all of that will change when Jesus rises from the dead the third day. So he says, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. Now, why does Jesus allow it? Well, in this particular case, Satan's just a tool. And I mean it in all the senses of the word that, that Jesus is using Satan to sift Peter. Now, Satan's trying to destroy Peter. That's not going to happen. What is going to happen 
And we used to sing a song that, that talks about it. It said, purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold, pure gold. And the, the idea of sifting grain is separating the chaff from the wheat. So all you have left is what's useful and fruitful. And, and the chaff, which is useless, it's blown away in the wind. With gold, they refine it. Why? It's more valuable as it's refined. And that song we sing is just saying, Lord, make me, you know, all I can be for you. So Simon, Simon, he says, that reminds me of when I was young, you know, when your parents call you by your nickname or something, you know, everything's cool. When they use your first name, your formal name, not so cool. When they double it, you know you're in trouble. And, and again, remember, Simon means vacillating a reed. And he's kind of saying, flaky, flaky, you know, or vacillating, vacillating. Satan has asked for you. And, Satan, and, and, you know, Peter's like, you don't know who you're dealing with here, Lord. But the Lord really did know who he was dealing with. Well, he says, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I believe Peter was absolutely sincere, but there's something else here. He says, when you've returned, or I've prayed for you that your faith not fail. Have to deal with that issue. He didn't pray that Peter wouldn't fail. Peter needed to fail. He didn't pray that Peter's strength would be sufficient. He was praying that his faith wouldn't fail because faith has to be in Jesus for it to be effective and useful and, and fruitful. And, and so he's saying when you are restored, not if you're restored, but when you're restored, here's what I have for you. Strengthen your brethren. At the end of this, I'll read you something out of 1 Peter where he attempts to do just that. Well, Peter stumbles. He falters. Of course, Jesus prophesies that all would forsake. One would betray. And now when Peter says, well, I'm not going to forsake you. I won't run. I'll be there. I'll stand tough. That's when Jesus says, no, it's going to be worse for you. You're going to deny three times that you know me before the rooster crows. Well, he said to them, Verse 35, when I sent you out without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. There's a principle here. I learned it from my pastor. This is where he got it. The principle is this, where God guides, God provides. And I found him to be faithful every time he sent me to do anything. Every time he's commanded me to do anything, he never commands something without providing the empowerment for it. He never commands something without making it possible for us to do it. So he says, I sent you out. Remember, did you lack anything? And they said, not a thing, Lord. So he said to them, but now, so there's going to be a change. He who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, they don't even ask, but he is definitely making reference to the cross where he'll be nailed between two thieves. Well, it says, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, look here, Lord, or Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now, a little historical context. From the beginning, these disciples were received well. Hospitality was commonly practiced in their culture. So as they went out for Jesus, well, they found places to stay pretty much everywhere they went. Couple exceptions in the Samaritan territory, but, but that's a study for another time. The issue here is 
they went out and, and they were representing the Lord. They were preaching the gospel and preaching it to the poor. They, they were healing the sick and they were ministering and taking care of people. And so everywhere they went, there was a, a healthy and, and hospitable reception. He says, all that's about to change. The tides were going to turn. Now, their most fruitful ministry was yet ahead, but it would be accompanied with things he's been trying to teach them for over three years, that they were going to be hated and rejected and persecuted and slandered and even murdered. But in the midst of that, he tells them, here's how I want you to respond. I want you to love those and pray for those and bless those who do those very things. Why? Because people were rejecting them because of their hatred of Jesus and because they were representing Jesus. And, and once you get this, once you really process it, it really changes things. It's, it's no longer personal, the, the, the hatred that they have for believers, for Christians. It can feel personal, but it's really about Jesus. Well, they came out, we read, or coming out. He went to the Mount of Olives, verse 39, as he was accustomed. This is important because it's a reminder that well, Jesus went here regularly to pray. Judas had already struck his deal. He'd sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus went exactly where he knew Judas would be bringing those soldiers. And by the way, this is the temple guard. We're not yet dealing with the Romans. We're going to see them tomorrow. Well, in our case, next week. But uh, Jesus will be seeing them uh, the next day. But at this point, it's going to be the, the religious leaders who are coming with their own guards to have him arrested. So he goes to a place where Judas knows he'll find him. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He'd earlier taught them to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he's saying, hey, that prayer I taught you to pray, pray it. Pray that you could not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There are really two prayers here. One of the other gospel writers gives it to us like this. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. So important that we process this. If it were possible to be saved through religion, through being a good person, by keeping the law, by, by joining a church, if it were possible to be saved any other way, don't you think the Father would have answered this prayer in the affirmative? He would have said, of course, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. Of course, no. Jesus prays if there's any other way, but there is no other way. And Jesus' second prayer here, not my will, but yours be done. How important is that? And if Jesus prayed it, how important is it that we pray it? In Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says the following to Peter. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
Now, we know that Jesus was not saying that Peter was the rock that Jesus would build his church on. Peter certainly was not the foundation, Jesus was. However, at that same time, Jesus did change his name from Simon to Peter, which meant rock. Did Peter get it back then? You gotta wonder. But we know that later Peter did get it. After Jesus was crucified and rose again some 30 years later, Peter wrote the following in his epistle, 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 say, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is recognizing that Jesus is the cornerstone, or the keystone on which the church was built. But himself, the other apostles, even you and I, are also stones which are used in the building of the church. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.